Hey everyone and welcome to today's podcast episode and it's a special episode because we have Bill Madisoni here who as you know is one of the most eminent, one of the most successful partners from McKinsey and what we're going to do today is discuss some of the concepts from his forthcoming memoir which will be released next week. So before I introduce Bill and start this very interesting episode, I just want to talk you through very briefly about the special offer that is coming next week as we launch Bill Madisoni's memoir, Marketing Saves the World. So if you are listening to this between the 2nd and the 6th of December, I want you to go to firmsconsulting.com, that's firmsconsulting.com, or marketingsavestheworld.com and opt in to our subscriber list. It costs you nothing. All you have to do is put your email address in and you'll get a confirmation, which means that we can send you the details of the special offer that we have put together for the launch of Bill's memoir. The special offer is not available anywhere else. So when the book comes out on Amazon and you try to purchase the book on Amazon, you won't see the special offer. It will only come out through the email list. And this is the special offer we've put together. Because the thinking behind the book is that we want to get it out to as many people as possible so that they can start using these amazing ideas and concepts, which are pretty unique. We are only going to be pricing the book for $2.99 during that short window period between the 2nd and the 6th of December. After that window period, the price goes up significantly, close to about $20 afterwards. But that's not the only reason why you want to sign up, because in that window period, if you buy the book, for $2.99, we'll also give you access to all 20 episodes of The Bill Madisoni Show. The Bill Madisoni Show is a video documentary series that Bill shot explaining and elaborating on the concepts in the book. It is one of the most popular programs on firmsconsulting.com and it is not available for sale. And the other thing I want to point out is that Firms Consulting is known for premium pricing. We bring in some of the most eminent former partners and leaders in the world and we produce bespoke programming that sells at a premium. We don't make prices like this available often and the only reason we are doing it is to get the message out and because many clients wanted access to it from many parts of the world. So we're pricing it in a very special way for just this short window period. It's not to make profits, it's to get the book out to as many people as possible. So remember, go to firmsconsulting.com, go to marketingsavestheworld.com opt in to receive emails from us. Between the 2nd and the 6th of December, we will send you an email about the special offer whereby we'll price the memoir below $3. And if you buy the memoir during that period only, you'll get access to all 20 episodes of The Bill Madisoni Show. Once that period is over, the price of the memoir will go up and we will no longer provide access to The Bill Madisoni Show. So if you end up buying the memoir, you'll only buy the memoir at the much higher price. Just remember that it's a very unique opportunity to learn about not just McKinsey and the world of management consulting, but a very important concept about marketing spaces and dimensions, which we use within firms consulting quite effectively, and we use with our clients as well. For those of you who don't know, Bill Madisoni was a McKinsey partner who ran marketing, he ran alumni relations, he I would say rebuilt McKinsey quarterly and turned it into what you know it as today. He became a partner at McKinsey within two years. He was a partner there for about 20 years. He was a mentee of Marvin Bauer, whom he knew very closely, and he talks about him quite a lot. And he also came up with the very effective strategy that allowed McKinsey to differentiate itself and leap ahead of BCG and Bain when those two firms are doing very well in the market. So it's a very unique opportunity to 
year from someone that worked with one of the pioneers of McKinsey. And Marvin Bauer was a man who created McKinsey. Bill worked with him. But also, you get a chance to hear from Bill himself, who, in my opinion, is also one of the pioneers of McKinsey because he developed a lot of the thinking that allowed McKinsey to separate itself from the pack. So if you get a chance, please go ahead and opt in for the special offer. Now let's begin with the interview. Hi, Bill. It's Michael here. How are you? Good. How are you? How are you feeling? I'm good. What would you like to accomplish today? We want to run a sort of an interview just discussing some of the themes from the book and some of the feedback we're getting, which is interesting. And you just have a discussion. So it's nothing intense. Whenever I or Chris raises the memoir or shares the memoir with anyone, I think at the face value, they assume this is a book about marketing. But more importantly, Mm -hmm. they assume it's a book about marketing the way marketing has been discussed for the last 50 years. It's about Mm -hmm. selling something to people whether or not they want to buy it. And the book is right. not or about they, marketing. Or, or whether they need it. Yeah. Exactly. Okay. It's about four sales. It's about how do I get a sale irrespective mm-hmm. of whether it's going to help the consumer, whether the consumer wants it, whether the consumer needs it. But your book, memoir slash book, it's really about how marketers solve problems. And the process of solving problems that matter to consumers, they help consumers do something they want to do. And they create a market which benefits both parties, right? Yeah, right. And essentially, the thesis is that none of this is possible unless you have a capitalist system and the institutional infrastructure to support a system like that, Mm -hmm. which is basically why the United States has been so successful for so long, because we have that system in place. Yeah. And one of the things I always hear pushback on is that, you know, the United States capitalism doesn't work. It's a broken system. We need to change things. We face tough competitors, unfair competitors. Maybe capitalism needs to change. Mm-hmm. And the idea is that maybe it shouldn't change. Maybe we just need to change the way we engage capitalism. We need to maybe be a little bit tougher at the way we do it, be more creative, and not give up on the system. Yeah. And capitalism gets indicted because the disparity in income or other benchmarks are somehow proving that capitalism doesn't work. And I think my argument would be it's not very good logic to mm-hmm. say that. Just because capitalism leaves some people behind, it doesn't mean that it's a bad system and philosophy. You don't build the primary value-creating structure of your economy around the losers. You build it around winners. Winners both in terms of the people who produce the products and services and those who buy them because they've created the wherewithal to do that. And capitalism isn't kind, even though George Bush tried to develop compassionate Mm -hmm. capitalism. But it is fair. It just requires everybody to jump in. And it requires people to be tougher about their own performance and what they're doing and the performance of their children. And we need to create people who can compete rather than just receive. If that's Ayn Rand all over again, so be it. Let's face the reality of that. And then once facing that, then let's make better marketers of us all, both on the receiving and the creating it. And you either believe that or you This is a matter of faith. Yeah. You're not going to convince somebody that, to ignore those who can't compete unless they're ready to do that. They're going to say, no, society needs to be built around the people who can't compete. And my reaction that would be, I'm sorry, that's just... Not in my basic litmus test of what a successful system will be for a country. 
and for an economy. But there's two points here I want to raise, which, t- which builds on what you're saying. Yeah. If you look at the American system, which is probably the most advanced capitalist system almost developed. Yeah. I'm not saying advanced as in better, but it has it's the most robust system. It can take hits. Well, with the exception of excessive regulation that we're now trying to reduce. And if you look at the American Constitution, the framers, the writers of the original Constitution were careful in picking their words because they talk about the pursuit of happiness. Mm-hmm. They never say happiness is guaranteed. They say we'll create a system where everyone will have a way to play in the system, but you have to pursue success. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of times when people think about capitalism, they think that if I just play in the system, success is guaranteed. The basis of a good capitalist system is that it allows the best to rise to the top. And the ones who are not adding value, not helping consumers, who are basically ripping off consumers, they are ultimately going to fail. Mm-hmm. And that's a, a robust capitalist system. It is. A robust system requires competition. Mm-hmm. It requires people to show up and work hard and do their best. It does not require participation. And so when we now have little leagues that talk about participation awards, yes, it's the wrong way to go. This pervasive sort of non-compete clause they want to put in place for society is wrong. Competition is necessary. Competition is welcome. Unfair competition is even better because then you really make money. We can't have an economy run by people who are afraid to compete, mm-hmm. who are afraid to have the citizens of this country compete, and who instead try to eliminate competition at every level, in schools, in business. And as a result, we don't show up on the starting line, and we don't win the mm-hmm. event. And then it goes down into marketing, and where I was going to say we could soften the image is let's... I'm so glad that I mentioned that book about, you know, American marketers in Europe, mm-hmm. the empire, was the unbeatable empire. It's like, we're really good at this. We do know how to market. It's America's claim to fame. You could say it's about finance mm-hmm. and other things. But God, we've had some of the greatest marketers in the world coming out of this country. And it doesn't mean that there aren't great marketers out of Europe, but America, hands down, is the marketing society of the world. Yeah. I want to sort of get that into this new round of audios, that it's time for us to recognize what a great marketing society, business society we've had. And we will continue to have because of the ingenuity, the ingenuity, I should say, Mm -hmm. ingenuity, imagination and guts. Of not only the superstars like Steve Jobs, but also the others and all these mid-sized, small-sized companies who every day are reinventing markets, finding new dimensions, building companies around that can deliver against that new dimension. We should be proud of American business, and mm-hmm. we should be in particular proud of marketing and marketers. Well, I want to and build I, on that point, Bill. I think it's a great point, and I think it's something that we don't appreciate enough. The book that you encouraged me to read is Irresistible Empire. People listening, I would recommend you buy that book and you read that book. Top of my reading list. It really is. And I recommend everyone to read it because people don't understand. I think we don't fully appreciate. I think maybe we do understand this. But if World War II was a fight between colonial empires for control of their colonies, and Mm -hmm. if there was no World War II... Would we have ever dismantled a commercial system whereby a few nations controlled other countries as part of their commercial model? I mean, it's hard to imagine that, but that was the way capitalism basically ran itself until the 1940s, right? You had these colonies Mm -hmm. with colonial outposts. 
They sent soldiers in, they controlled it, and that was the model of commerce. And the American system was one that, hey, we're not going to put soldiers in there unless you invite yeah. us in. But what we are going to ask you to do is open your markets to allow us to compete on a fair basis. And if we produce products that you don't like, we're going to lose anyway because no one's going to buy it. But if we produce products you like at a cost-effective price, it's going to be transfer of knowledge. Everyone benefits. It is a fundamental mm -hmm. shift in the way the world worked after 1945. Yeah. It's yeah. a big deal. You know, people always ask me, why is the United States fundamentally so successful relative to many other countries? It's because the United States introduced a new business model in the way capitalism should work. One whereby you open a market, you sell. If we sell something that makes sense and adds value, everyone wins. As opposed yeah. to the old model whereby you had to invade a country, occupy its land, and remove all its natural resources. Mm -hmm. It's a big deal. And, you know, when we talk yeah. about World War II, no one understands what a profound change that was. And I always mm -hmm. imagine if World War II never took place, what would have happened to all the colonies of the European empires? Would they be open markets today or would they still be... Right. For supply chains. Exactly. It's, yeah. it's a fundamental a restrict, rethinking. Restricted supply chains, by the way. Yeah. And it's something yeah. that maybe, until I read that book, I had never really realized that. So thank you for making me read that book. Mm -hmm. But it is something we take for granted because just about everyone today who reads media, comments in the media, we were born after 1945. We don't remember what it was like to live in a colony of some European colonial power where you had restrictive rights. You couldn't do whatever you wanted to do. There was no developed yeah. markets. Yeah. We just take for granted right. that the American system, which was not really forced on anyone, to be honest. It was simply, this is what we do. Do you want to become a part of it? It's a system that we take for granted because it's the only system we know about. It's the only system we were born into. Yeah. It took a catastrophic event like World War II. Yes. To get this paradigm shift in place and get rid of colonialism and whatever you want to call it, free market or unfettered market competition. What's it going to take now to accomplish another paradigm shift where we recognize that it indeed is the age of competition, mm -hmm. the age of marketing competition or marketing-led contribution, marketing being defined as creating and delivering new value that society only begins to see and new value that finally solves some of these intractable products like drug development or education and quality of education and skills so that people can get jobs and thereby get dignity. What's it going to take to get people to realize that markets actually work and they work for all of us and we're so much better off having unfettered markets it's to the point where Incur the dangers in the drug development market, for example, of a drug being overpriced or underperforming. That happens fine. But don't impose regulations that cost a billion dollars to mm -hmm. develop a drug. Is that really worth it? No. Then you end up with three drugs in the Alzheimer pipeline, all because you're protecting people. Gee, that's a funny definition of protection, isn't it? So there's plenty to talk to. I'm a little worried about we get so carried away with this higher mission and purpose, we forget about just the great creativity of, mm -hmm. you know, a model like the threadless model that Philip Evans so brilliantly defines where, you know, how many people are, 75 people are creating a couple of t-shirts every month and yeah. making how much money per t-shirt. I get just as excited about that because that's core. That's what really drives the economy. Mm -hmm. 
all those companies and all these entrepreneurs, some of them technology-driven, some not, you know. But we don't want to lose those stories. As we go into this marketing and market work, and it's so important, let's just remember, it's all still driven by individuals who want to create and run their own business. It's freedom. It's what America and capitalism are still all about. Let's right? talk about that. Let's take it there, right? So let's yeah. just tie it together, right? So basically, we're saying that capitalism works. It's messy at times, but that's the nature of any consumer-driven yeah. system. Yeah. It's never going to well, be... So so is management, yeah. People are talking about management's about problem solving. No. Management's about mess building and mess busting. We've talked about this a long time ago, you know. We haven't talked about it lately. We may have to bring that theme back of mess busting. Mm -hmm. Individuals do this. Chuck Schumer and some regulator hasn't ever busted a mess. Mm -hmm. All they do is parse it mm -hmm. and then try to regulate each player, which doesn't create any value whatsoever. And the goal has to be the opening up the possibility of creating value. That means letting the players involved interact freely and fairly versus protecting everybody and restricting everybody. We need to get rid of the words protect and restrict because they're vastly overvalued. Well, we're seeing that with Facebook right now, isn't it? Because yeah, for a yeah. very long time, regulators have tried to rein in Facebook. But the only time mm -hmm. Facebook has started changing is when consumers and users have started defecting, yes. or threatening to defect. So and, the greatest and, regulator and, is the consumer. Right. That's a great point. The best regulator is the consumer. And you say, well, no, no, they're not smart. And they say, no, they're not. We need government people to do it. We need lawyers in Congress. They should stay out of it and let the consumer decide and not pass regulations that take away those decisions. No, you're absolutely right. The consumer is the best regulator. Provided the consumer has access to all the information they need, they yes. are in a position to vote without any restraint. Vote by, I mean, pay yeah. for the service and not pay for the service and go to a competitor. In time, the market will regulate a bad performer. Right. We've seen that repeatedly, but we just have a different word for it. You know, a man of thinking about this, we can say that the market regulated Blockbuster out of existence by choosing Netflix. Yes. The marketers, the new people, the new mm -hmm. players, the new technologies. You know, the old Shumterian idea of creative destruction. And by the way, that means people lose their jobs. Mm -hmm. In a blockbuster, people lost their jobs. Far better that they lost their jobs than we pay them, like an old steel worker, yeah. to keep doing their job, but in fact not delivering value to society. The point I was going to make is and so much value gets created when you can find these new dimensions and you change the basis of competition. You just redefine the world. And marketers are continuing to redefine the world. I just find that so exciting. Just look at what people do every day. All these new companies, not just the high-tech companies, mm -hmm. but others. And not just the ones that are suddenly billionaires, but the people who are suddenly $100,000ers. We need a new phrase for these people. They make 100000 their first year in their new business you know, and develop a customer base and the people who love the product or love the service. Yeah. And gets them excited and makes them feel good and prosperous and a winner. That's what marketing does. Absolutely. Marketing makes Americans feel like they're winners. Mm -hmm. you know, and that's different than marketing makes Americans feel like they got taken. Yes. You know, that's not what we're talking about here. We're, we're talking about marketing that makes... 
Americans feel like they're winners, like they're the best country in the world. And part of that is not used to be because of the politics and the fairness and all. Yeah. Now it's about, you know, we see prosperity mm-hmm. and we see creativity and new dimensions of value. And people say, yeah, I want this. I want this convenience. I want this sense that I control my privacy. I want these uber dimensions of value. And it makes me feel good. Well, you're talking about new dimensions of value, right? So basically, to succeed and to serve consumers, you need to redefine the market spaces and find new dimensions. And I was thinking of some examples of new dimensions. And the one that comes to mind is Amazon Echo, the voice-activated device that Amazon sells. It's basically a device you put in your house, and you can Mm -hmm. talk to the device to say, hey, buy this product, play this song put this into my diary. Whom am I seeing at 2 p.m.? And it goes in, it checks what's happening, and it gives you advice. Now, the reason I'm bringing this up is because for a very long time, no one really figured out who would beat Google at search. Because pretty much if you want to search for anything on your phone or on the internet, you go to Google and you type in, you know, Google, what's the best seafood mm-hmm. restaurant in New Canaan or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. But then Amazon came up with a new dimension whereby they said, what if search didn't exist on your screen? What if it was verbal? And to me, that's a very clever example of if you're going to beat Google at search, what if you change the dimension of search whereby it was not on the screen? Imagine a future Mm -hmm. where all devices were voice activated. What would you rather do? Pull out your phone, open your screen, open the browser, type in something, or just speak into a voice activated device? Mm -hmm. And you can see that right now when it comes to voice activated devices in homes, Amazon has a huge lead over everyone else. Is that right? Yeah. A massive lead. And, you know, no one ever predicted who would beat Google at search. And, and obviously, Amazon is far away from beating Google at search. But it's a very right. clever idea right. of rather than trying to compete with Google on its own terms of, you know, huge data centers, the best graphical interface in your computer, they've opened up a new dimension. It may fail, mm-hmm. but logically, I can't see it failing because it's just so much more intuitive to talk to a computer than to pull up a screen and write into it. Don't forget, you're talking to a guy who was, when he was at McKinsey, running marketing. You know, when the computer and voicemail first showed up yeah. and all that stuff. Not voicemail, but email. I would have my secretary print out all my emails, put them on the train with me. Yeah. I would write out responses and next morning give them to him. So when I hear about this stuff, is that real value or not? Yeah. When I walk into a house. Yeah. And I have this ability. Guess how much I value the ability to clap my hands and have all the lights come on. Not much, I'm guessing. My answer is, you know, I guess that's like talking to your home. But uh, yeah, I'll just go around. I'll just go around and turn on the goddamn lights. Yeah. And so now that we're speaking to the computer and saying who won the Academy Award for Best Female Actress in yeah. 1942. You know, I'll just go to the computer because I'm not going to do that that often. Maybe eventually that will be an important and valued yes, but we don't know. function. The dimension of instantaneous information. Mm-hmm. That's saying, a new this dimension. Is, this, this is a new dimension. How powerful is it? And do we really understand what that dimension is? Yes. Do we know how to exploit it? And in fact, Amazon may yeah. not be the company that wins with that dimension. Someone may do it better right. than Amazon. Right, but at least they have the power and the insight and the leadership, I must say, to explore it aggressively. And, and to the this, point where other people are going to say, I, I'm going to jump on this train. You know? And this builds on the point you made much earlier, whereby capitalism is a risk. Yeah, 
Amazon oh, yeah. is taking an enormous risk here, putting billions of dollars of resources, manpower, advertising, mm -hmm. uh, capabilities behind this, and all of this may fail. You know, that's an interesting point. Everybody thinks that capitalism is about big capitalists. Mm -hmm. It's about guys running companies, smoking cigars, and counting their millions. And yet you look at GE, and the new chairman lasted, what, a year? Mm -hmm. We still, maybe not as often as we should, and maybe we still mm -hmm. overpay these CEOs, but we're moving in the right direction. If you, the performer, you get out. It applies at the GE level, and it certainly applies at the $100,000 a year guy. Mm -hmm. You perform or you get out. And that philosophy of capitalism is about fat cats. Yeah. And God knows to some extent that's true, mm -hmm. but thank God capitalism is still about democracy and mm -hmm. meritocracy. And then the question goes back to my old buddy, Ahmad Day. How do you keep things transparent enough yes. so that you can see the performance of people and leadership? And that should be the issue, not whether capitalism works or doesn't work. It works in four cases. How do you ensure this transparency? And there, God knows, there have been some really feeble attempts mm -hmm. regarding improving that transparency. And they haven't come up with a good answer. But I'm happy to see people continue to work at that versus question whether capitalism is the right basic model for the country. I'm just astounded at people who live in this country and don't think of capitalism as one of the great gifts that we've had. Have you been living on another planet? What do you think would be a better option? Bureaucrats and lawyers in Washington mm -hmm. are going to both create and allocate value? Where the hell have you been? Do you walk through your entire day not thinking about things happen? When you go to a 7-Eleven or a Starbucks or a car dealership, any place where you're interacting with somebody in a market space, are you not observing what's going on and thinking about how it happened and why it happens and why it's good or bad? I agree with you on that. You know, the basis of capitalism is, is due process, right? Everything yeah. must go through a legal system whereby it's open and transparent. So if there's no evidence, it's very hard to make a call on these things. And then yeah. you shouldn't make and, a call. Yeah. But right. looking outside in, you know, one of the things people ask us is, why do we work so hard? And I always look at them and say, you know what? I speak English which means I have an advantage in the world. I mean, most people in the world would wish they could speak English. All my yeah. body works. I can walk. I have no cognitive problems. I am mm -hmm. relatively well-educated, and I live in probably the most modern, advanced, and greatest country in the world. Why would I not want to work every day? Yeah. It's a great point that capitalism, society, America, why would I not want to work every day? Exactly. But There's the so answer many opportunities. Is, yeah. Why wouldn't you want to work every day? Well, because the government will give you enough money to eke out a modest, a very modest living. But, you know, coming on this yeah. point on what you're talking about, basically subsidies of a sort, right? Yeah. Um, I actually look for subsidies, but not in the way you think. If you look at venture capital-backed companies, a lot of them run their businesses in such a way whereby they are heavily subsidized by VC capital. And they are willing to sell something at below cost. Mm -hmm. or at a ridiculously low amount just so that they can gain market share in the market. So in my world, I always look for businesses subsidized by venture capital money. There's a website based out of San Francisco whereby if you sell or buy your house through them, they will give you 50% of the broker fees as a refund. And the only way they're able to do that is because they're funded by VC money. Mm-hmm. 
I mean, think about this. <laughs> We've gone from a world yeah. whereby governments used to be the main source of subsidies, and now you've got venture capitalists subsidizing sales. I mean, there's a company, there's a lot of them. I mean, I don't know if you're aware of this, Bill, but you probably are. One of the biggest battles taking place now in the furniture industry is the sale of beds. For a long time, beds used to be sold through these big stores by big brands like Sealy and so on. And yeah. then there's these new breed of bed companies whereby what they do is they take your bed and they vacuum seal it by pulling out all of the air out of their mattress. They yeah. fold it up into a box and they'll ship it to you. But that's not and the best thing. And shipping is the biggest cost of the bed, right? Yeah, so. but, but the best part about it is that if you can keep your bed for between three to six months, they have different timelines. And if you don't like your bed, you can ask for a refund, no questions asked. Yeah. Now think about that. Right? Oh, it's incredible. And you think, can the economics really work? And apparently they figured out a way for the economics to work. Is that creating value or not? Of course it is. You know, there I, are. I don't want to do bed shopping. Better. I don't know about you, so I like this model. What's a dimension of value on a mattress? Will the mattress work good for your back? You can come into the store and lie on the bed for an hour yeah. or whatever. You know, that's not good enough. So is there a way to develop a new model and really take the new dimension of back comfort and quality for you as an individual? It has nothing to do with the quality of the mattress. It's a matter of whether it fits. And come up with a new model that works and make that dimension and move way, way up that dimension from 20 minutes on a mattress in the showroom to something like that. That's a commitment. But again, it shows you the ingenuity of the marketer. And I love that example as much as the kid in South America who yeah. figures out how to finance kids' education. They're both legitimate marketers creating real value for society. Value is value. And nobody has to say, well, that's more important value. And there may be. There may be more macroeconomic issues you can look at for education versus, versus back pain. But they're both important. And marketers solve those problems. Yeah. Here's another example which I particularly like. I mean, I don't know if you've seen these adverts for Volvo whereby you don't buy a Volvo anymore. You download an app and you subscribe to it. Really? So they, wow. they, they take up all of the hassle of finding the financing, figuring out your insurance. They give you a flat rate. You download the app, load up all your details. And I'm sure there's some check process they go through. But you are subscribing yeah. to the car and you can swap your car in and out. Now, to that's, me... That's that's brilliant. And, and everybody, and what's interesting is everybody's paying attention to the driverless car. Yes. Whereas the major new dimension may be something like this. You know? and, and I've seen Ford has started doing the same thing. They've launched their own subscription model whereby you can rent. Well, not rent. It's not even rent. You are basically subscribing to a fleet of Ford vehicles. And yeah. you can swap them out whenever you want to, which I think makes a lot of sense. You know, sometimes you may need an SUV on a weekend to take your kids around. Right, but on another yeah. day, you maybe just want a Lincoln to drive around, right? And Porsche has yeah. done the same thing. They also have a subscription model whereby you can subscribe yeah. for a month. And at any yeah. time, you can swap the Porsche you want. So maybe you want to go to the beach with your friends on a weekend or a long weekend. You, yeah, you get right, one of those right. big SUVs. And the rest of the time, you want to drive a nice, sleek sports car around. That's a dimension that has very different endpoints. Yes. There's the garage hug versus the flexibility of the car need for the weekend. It's fascinating. And how do you play that as a marketer? How does that affect your product line and your product development strategy? Just talking about things. It makes you realize how marketing gives us so much freedom. 
it enables capitalism to just leap off the page and be real yes. for everybody. Talking about cars, I want to give you what I think is probably the best example of new dimensions in the auto space. Jaguar rolled out something that I thought was pretty clever by thinking about you know new dimensions and new spaces. So what they realized is that, especially in Europe and probably even California at some point, combustion-driven vehicles are going to be outlawed at some point. Yeah. And they realized that you know, some of those classic Jaguars from the 1960s, 1970s, especially the convertibles, a lot of the enthusiasts really loved the cars and didn't want to part with them. So Jaguar has rolled out a new service whereby they will take your existing 1960s, 70s Jaguar. I don't think it's for all models. I think it's for some of their special edition versions. For the E-Type. Yeah, and they will convert it into a battery-powered vehicle. They will take your engine out and store it for you. So you can drive around the electric version. But if at any other point you want to put back the combustion version, either right, for yourself right. or to resell it, they can do that for you as well. You know, I saw the picture last night and I saw the E-Type, beautiful silver E-Type. Exactly. And I saw that it was all electronic. I didn't realize that, that that wasn't just an electric vehicle. It was something very different. Again, you look at marketing being inventive, creative, looking for new angles, you know, and whether it works or not, it doesn't matter. It's still a great idea. Yes. You know? It's a clever way to compete amongst car enthusiasts. We're always yes. worried that they may be sinking money into a car that they can't actually drive without a very expensive permit that they may not get. Yeah. Because that's where we're going, right? I mean, it's becoming very, very expensive to have diesel-powered and gasoline-powered vehicles on the yeah. road. And at some point, and they're going the, to be... Yeah, but I still, love, I, I still love getting in that Porsche. Yeah. Again, you know, there's so much freedom. The other side of the story, and that's the theme we ought to bring up, is despite all the regulation, the business regulation, mm -hmm. there's still the product freedom, the product mm -hmm. and service freedom we mm -hmm. still have in the industry. People are always coming up with new products and services that exemplify and embody bold new themes like convenience, like flexibility. Yeah. We still have a lot of freedom, and thank God, America and America's version of capitalism still inspires people or invites people, I should say, to really go to the limits, to find new ideas, really crazy ideas. You know. And will it work? Frankly, I don't care. I just like the idea that it spawns. Mm -hmm. I think a major theme of the book and the audios and so forth is, thank God we still have people in this country who... Just think outside the box. And take the risk. And take the risk, the personal risk, you know, and go bankrupt again and again and again. And by the way, when they do go bankrupt and they start a business that succeeds, then they have to pay taxes because, you know, and higher progressive taxes because somehow they cheated. Yeah. And tell me why they did. Just give me one piece of evidence. That, oh, well, they used some loophole for this. They didn't cheat. They had the guts to see the future and create it. And yeah. the point is that we should be lucky that we live in a society where you can go bankrupt and discharge your Oh, debts. absolutely. You know, well, thank subtle God but important law. point. Yeah, a bankruptcy laws, I'm not up on this, but I think they're still okay and they still yeah. encourage people to take the risk or lower the risk or the cost of getting it wrong or failure. Because it's a huge part of capitalism, marketing, and the implicit contracts people have with society, because it is a contract. You know, you know, entrepreneur fails. 
but we, he still has at the end the ability to revive himself rather than go on a government dole. You know? mm -hmm. So the point is, it, it matters where you take the risk. Because if you take the risk in a country whereby they don't have a capitalist system which encourages entrepreneurship, you're not going to have a good yeah, experience. Right, right. And it's been taken about 300, 400 years for America to build up this. It's not the perfect legal system, but it's a system that works. And it's not something that's easy to replicate. And again, you used exactly the right word. It is a system. Yes. It's a system that inspires entrepreneurship, that allows people to fail as well as succeed. I don't think people understand it. I think if you went out right now and asked people, should we let people go bankrupt? Most of them would say no. Yes. They're getting away with something, you know? It's like these billionaires that buy these tax shelters. Yeah. But the answer is no. These are people who put their money, their own money, yeah. into these ventures. And for one reason or another, it didn't work. Sometimes good reasons, sometimes bad reasons, sometimes just unlucky reasons. But they put their lives on the line. You know, marketing gets criticized a lot by people who just resent mm -hmm. imagination and success. Just because people are jealous. Market, you know, that's another theme of the book. My memoir, certainly, is, is have fun. They have great fun. And they have great friends. Yes. They have great stories. They have great stories to tell when they succeed. You know, they have those aha moments when in the product development stage. They're there at some garage late at night. You know, the classic Steve Jobs story. And, and they developed this product. But, but the Apple wasn't unique in that respect. Yeah. Those, those garages exist all across America. And they still do, despite the government's intrusion on our entrepreneurship. We're just remarkably lucky that people have the enthusiasm and bet their livelihood on this. I'm not sure I would. You know, I never put my entire fortune on the line the way a lot of these marketers do. Now, I don't want to ignore the people who are in a marketing function at a big company versus the garage marketer. But big there companies can be innovative. What stops them from doing exactly that? Exactly right. You know, they could be a Procter Gamble, they could be at IBM, they could be anywhere. It's more the spirit yes. and the freedom and the imagination they bring to work every day. And I think if you look at the success of those big companies, it's clear they have people inside them who are just as creative and just as daring because they're risking their job. If their little project doesn't work at P&G, they're not getting ahead on the basis of that. They're going to lose their job, you know. So we don't want to deplore big companies and their contribution through marketing mm -hmm. to the world. It's an irresistible empire. Who was it that did it? You know, it was the big American companies. Yeah, it was the big American companies. There's no stories about startups there. No, no, exactly. So, But it is startups and standards, and both work. Well, I think the good way to think about it is that no matter where you are as a marketer, it's not about selling, it's about solving problems. And if you make that paradigm shift, yeah. you yeah. will take risks and try to do new things. Yeah, although solving problems bothers me a little bit because it's, it's not a solving. In the process of solving, recreating, mm. finding the new dimensions, redefining value. You know, at the beginning of the book, or like Stout Cortez, who with eagle eyes, yeah. A's of the Pacific, they see new dimension, and it could be in a big company or a startup. Solving problems, is, to me, is like the old McKinsey, the old yeah. consultant. Mm -hmm. It's about rethinking. It's seeing. That's why I always say marketing is a visual metaphor. 
Well, that's the whole point of being inspired by the Philip Johnson house and thinking about yeah, the yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. The one thing that I like, you know, it's very easy to always think about Elon Musk, to think about Apple, to think about yeah. big innovations. But let me tell you, one innovation I particularly love is Netflix because oh. People yeah. forget that, you know, in the 1980s and 1990s, you had to arrange your life around getting home at a certain time. Yeah. Because yeah. NBC was going to show Dallas at 9 p.m. or whatever it was going to be on. Right. And that was the only time you could see it. And if you missed yeah. it, there was no way to go back and see a back copy of it. It's gone. Right. Well, but then you had the uh, recording. D well, yeah, DVR and video recorders. Yeah. And if you think about it, I mean, Netflix is just one big DVR with everything stored in there. Yeah, but they saw more convenience, more choice. But, you know, I, I am also just as impressed by YouTube, which I yeah. think is phenomenal. But the interesting thing about Netflix is that when they were negotiating the licenses to take shows from ABC and NBC, which is how they built yeah. their business model, the yeah. network executives never had the vision to think this was going to be something big. So they licensed their content to Netflix at a really low price. Is that right? Yeah. Which is the only reason Netflix was able to grow. They were able to license right. at a lower right. price, sell it. And then as they started doing better and better, the network started renegotiating the licenses mm -hmm. at a higher and higher rate. But at a certain point, it's too late. Yeah, but it gave Netflix the necessary economics to play ball. And now Netflix just took their profits and are making their own shows, which means they're no longer dependent yeah. on the networks. Equaled HBO for the most number of Emmys, which means they basically shut out all of the networks, ABC, NBC, that's, that's Fox, incredible. CBS. But it's a whole different world. And it just shows you, too, that when you see this new dimension emerging, you do have to Move make some it. decisions and take some actions, you know, and... And then you're ahead of the game. You're ahead of that big steel ball that's going to drive things. You know, well, Those are all great examples. Well, I want to give you one other example, which I think is quite interesting. Because I'm yeah. a big fan of economic history. I generally like history stuff. And I was thinking, someone asked me, give me an example of this, where it applies to country economics. Right? How do countries compete? And I was thinking of the original spice trade, you know, back in the day when the Europeans were trying to preserve their food for a longer time. You know, they sent out people all over the world to try to find another route to the east, primarily India. Do you remember all those journeys, Christopher Columbus getting lost, finding North America and so on? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but what people don't understand is that once they had found a route to India, whether over land or through sea, and they brought the spices back... It allowed them to preserve food. It allowed them to send out their armies further because they were able to keep their food in an edible condition for a longer period. And I can imagine that there were kings in Europe for a very long time who were saying, how do we protect the route to India by having bigger ships, faster ships, and so on, right? Yeah. And then along comes this guy called William Cullen from the University of Glasgow who invents what is essentially the world's first refrigeration system in the late 1700s. Yeah. Yeah. Countries had these big ships sending out explorers all over the place to find better spices, and he completely upends the world by finding refrigeration. Right. He basically changed the dimension in terms of which society progresses, right? Right. It's a fascinating example. In the memoir, I cover technology at a yeah. product market level, and primarily Clay Christensen. Yes. The example of the, you know, the disc, and going from a disc whose primary value delivery was density. Yeah. And moving to one where it was about durability. 
the memoir doesn't get into the technologies that are orthogonal to the main business. Mm -hmm. The refrigeration technology business is kind of orthogonal to the ships across the sea business and transportation. But there it was, and it had the capacity to ripple through that business and change it entirely. There's probably room if we do a second and third edition of the book or audio versions or video versions mm -hmm. to talk about how dimensions change. And yes. The dimension of time and freshness, big deals. You know? But what happens when this refrigeration thing comes around? Well, you know, it doesn't matter how long it takes because it's not going to rot. You know? Yeah, and I really don't have a lot to say about orthogonal technology, but who knows? I think it's our job to define what should be in a memo. Who is to say memoirs don't evolve to include projections or new ideas versus simply a reflection of someone's life? You know, memoirs can evolve, right? I'm quite proud of the way we managed to balance mm -hmm. the story of my life mm -hmm. with somebody's ideas and how they evolved and eventually coalesced. Frankly. I was the most shocked of anybody when I sort of realized that the ideas, when you add them all up, from the high blood pressure days to the tapestry days and the Ashoka days, there's an intellectual thread there that actually holds together. But, you know, if you had asked me at the beginning... We are not surprised, because I think the first time I saw you speak, I was quite surprised you're retired. <laughs> Why is that? Because That's I thought that you had a lot to share with the world, and it was surprising to me yeah. that you had... I wouldn't say withdrawn, but you have made the decision to spend time with Pamela and enjoy life, which is fantastic. But I knew there was a story there. We just had to get it out. But I want to leave you well, with this thought. I want to leave you with this thought, right? Okay. If we had never invented air conditioning, do you think there would be a Vegas and a Frank Sinatra? I don't think so. No, no. <laughs> Talk about an orthogonal technology. I mean, isn't that wonderful? It's that amazing, be, right? Isn't it? It would never be Sammy Davis Jr. Exactly. I mean, it wouldn't be tap dancing. They wouldn't they, be, you know, I'm not sure about Elvis so much, but I know Frank Sinatra was big in Vegas. And oh, Vegas they, made him big. And it's true. It is true. <laughs> Perfect. So let's wrap up here, unless there's anything else. Yeah, okay. All right, time for me to go watch the Steelers lose another football game. Take care, Bill. We'll chat soon. All right, bye. Bye-bye. And that's it for today's episode. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I enjoyed doing the episode. Finally, I want you to remember that the only way to get access to our special offers, the only way to get our special pricing, and the only way to get samples of our insider content is to join the list on marketingsavestheworld.com or firmsconsulting.com. Just remember that Bill Madisoni's memoir and documentary, the 20-episode documentary, and his memoir is going to be released worldwide soon. As far as we know, it is extremely rare for a former McKinsey and BCG partner to publish the memoir. The special pricing that we will offer will only be offered for a limited time. It will be only offered to people who subscribe to that email list. It's the only way also to get access to our unique advanced content that we make available to insiders. So if you want to get a sneak peek of things, test it out, see what's in there, this is the place to go. And finally, I want to thank you again for making us one of the largest podcast channels around the world for careers and for the 2 million downloads and counting.